0: This is Building on the Solid Rock with Pastor Troy Neely of Calvary Chapel Solid Rock. Let every family find faith in the Father's love. This
1: is where it begins. This is our cry, this is our song, Jesus the way. We find our life in Him. His name to stir discussion, not to debate with people, not to argue with them, not to win some kind of fight, but so that we can share the gospel and the hope that exists. There are so many, they've lost hope. They can't see how to get out of the mess that life has dealt them. Sometimes, very often, the sum of choices that have been made, and now they're overwhelmed by them, and they need hope. They need light. That's what we are. That's what we're called to be. This is a call and a commission from God that is daily. We're to live it daily so that we can be a light. Not to go out and save everybody in a moment, but so they can look to us.
0: You know, people should be able to look at any Christian and tell that they're saved. A Christian's life should look so different than the world, and their speech should be so reflective of heaven that it's impossible to doubt where their joy comes from. As you look at part of the story of Lazarus today, you're going to be encouraged by Pastor Troy to have a life like that where God's work in your life is so evident that they want to see it. A life that's truly changed by God is a life that's extraordinary compared to the world. Now, here's Pastor Troy in the book of John chapter 11 with today's edition of Building on the Solid Rock.
1: Notice that the Sadducees and Pharisees are working together here. They're on the same page, which doesn't really happen. Uh, they finally have something to agree on. Do you know how hard it is right now for us to get Republicans and Democrats to agree? It's to our shame, really, um, because it doesn't mean anyone wants what's right. But one side will say one thing, and the other side will not want it at all. doesn't matter. If it's good, right, helpful, doesn't matter. They just don't want the other side to win. Well, you could say that that was like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Getting them to agree was almost impossible, and they saw things very differently. And yet, here they are talking about something very significant, getting rid of someone, and they're all together. They're united. The bottom line for them is this. This is what draws them together. They don't want Jesus to get in the way of their own political, religious, and personal interests. They have their own agendas, their own political, religious, and personal interests agendas They don't want Jesus messing with. And so they're going to get in agreement. At least we've been used to fighting each other. We got our pack of people. You got your pack. And that's okay. But this guy's like taking all of them. So we got to get rid of him. We got to side together and get rid of him. It's a lot like the world. Nothing unifies the world like Jesus. And I don't mean in a good way. But in a let's get rid of him kind of a way. Newsflash: people will even use Jesus like these guys are going to do to move their own agendas. Politicians do it all the time. You would know they're a Christian until they're going to try to get that base, until they're going to try to get that group. Christ died for people. He was love, love, love. You know, they misquote. They say they can't say what scripture it is. and It's in the Bible somewhere. They don't know the Bible. But they're trying to hit a certain target, a certain audience. And all of a sudden, there you go. Christians, Christians, we also have a tendency to use the Lord to stop people from convicting us. And what we do is we'll pull out the God said card. So we can look at somebody and and they're doing certain things and we go, man, this doesn't look like the it doesn't smell like the fragrance of Christ here. I mean, there's some... Bad things, it doesn't look like it's the Lord. Some red flags. And so you try to tell them, hey, this isn't from God. This isn't the Lord. This isn't the right attitude. This isn't, and they'll go, "Well, I'm just doing what God said. So they trump you. They trump you by saying, God said. What can you say to them after that? Nothing, because God said. got to be careful with that card. Even the scripture says, don't say that. Rather say, if it's the Lord's will, like I think it is, I believe it is, that's why I'm going this direction, but I am not the one who decides whether it really was or not. God does. And so I'm going to do it because I believe it's him, but when I see certain things like doors closing or, hey, we're starting to do things that are very on the edge of what's right and wrong then you got to start going, maybe it's not the Lord. If it is, then I should be able to do things the right way and it will happen. Because if I got to start doing things the wrong way to get it to happen, maybe it's not the Lord. So people use the Lord all the time to kind of get people to get off their back, to hold on to things they want to hold on to. Girls, you got to be careful too. There's some crazy guys out there. God put you on my heart. God said, I'm supposed to marry you. Don't ever let God tell the guy first (laughs) that you're supposed to marry him. Don't ever let that happen. God's going to be speaking to your heart because there are some strange people out there who claim to hear from God. And I, I don't know what God they're hearing from, but it's not the God of the Bible. It's not the one true and living God. So we just got to be very careful. Make sure you are following the Lord. If you follow the Lord with all of your heart, doing things the right way, then uh, you'll be safe. The righteous run into the Lord. The name of the Lord is a, a strong tower, righteous tower. The righteous run into and we are safe. You do things right. You follow the Lord and you won't go wrong and you won't be misled even by religious people. So that's why one of the focuses for us is to teach the Bible. Not to take the Bible and to teach for an hour, but to teach the Bible the whole time. Where are we at? What are we talking about? Does this relate to where we're at in the scriptures? Do I know when I leave that church, do I know more about the text that was there, or do I have a concept that when I go back and look, has nothing to do with the text? You gotta be very careful. So, they plan to manipulate the circumstances and use Jesus to further their own agenda because people do that. In fact, just the mention of Jesus can stir discussion, which is actually a good thing because I think Jesus wants us to discuss Him with people. He wants His name to stir discussion, not to debate with people, not to argue with them, not to win some kind of fight but so that we can share the gospel and the hope that exists. There are so many, they've lost hope. They can't see how to get out of the mess that life has dealt them. Sometimes, very often, the sum of choices that have been made, and now they're overwhelmed by them, and they need hope. They need light. That's what we are. That's what we're called to be. This is a call and a commission from God that is daily. We're to live it daily so that we can be a light. Not to go out and save everybody in a moment, but so they can look to us. Lee Strobel wrote something called The Unexpected Adventure. It says anyone who has ever read the Bible knows that God wants to be involved with Spreading good news far and wide. There's nothing more fulfilling than seeing ordinary people turned into extraordinary followers of God, atheists who become missionaries, once wayward kids who are now inspired worship leaders, hardened inmates who become compassionate pastors, former drug abusers who rescue the lives and souls of addicts. Is there anything better? That somehow, in some way, God might take this seemingly routine day and surprise me with an opportunity to tell someone about the good news that has the power to turn their life inside and out. Every day. Every day we have this opportunity. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't try to be a friend more than you are faithful to the Lord. Keep your eyes on him. Like we said, when your eyes are him, he becomes someone that comes up often when your eyes are on him. Well, like we mentioned, some just won't believe. They just won't. In fact, here's what they'll do. They'll go off and talk to others. They'll discuss with others what Jesus has done to you. And you're no fun anymore. And so what they'll do is they'll talk about you. And they'll talk bad about the church or the Lord, depending upon where their heart's at. But you don't have to worry about it. They can sink to a low. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Look what happens to them. Verse 53. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. And the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple, What do you think? that he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it, that they might seize him. Finally, let's consider the truth that Jesus forces decisions. Jesus doesn't really permit someone to sit on the fence. It's all about making decisions here. This miracle that happened, the raising of Lazarus, and then his own raising, and then ascension, the Holy Spirit convicting men. It's all about decisions. Everyone will be given opportunities to make decisions. You have opportunities right here, right now, to make a decision. This is how how fast these decisions come to us. We have a decision to pay attention or not pay attention. We have a decision to sit straight, or show someone you're disinterested. Body language. We make these decisions every single day, every moment. They happen so fast. Well, this decision that they make sets things in motion for the ultimate hate crime, the murder of Jesus. There will be a trial at his arrest, um, but this shows us that the trial means nothing because they've already decided what they're going to do with him, kill him. And what was the reason they gave for making this decision? Do you remember? Verse 50, sounds noble, to keep the whole nation from perishing. This guy is drawing them all. They're all believing in him. And therefore, we've got to get rid of him. Well, did it work? Did they save their nation by getting rid of Jesus? Uh, no. Let me tell you what happened. Jesus dies on the cross. They did that, but he's raised to life again, and many follow him. And there's dissension, division in Israel, in Jerusalem, around the temple. It causes Rome to get involved, and Rome gets involved because there's an uproar. and People are out of control, and they come in and just wipe out the nation completely and destroy the temple completely, getting rid of it. So it doesn't work. They didn't save the nation. In fact, the whole nation was done away with, destroyed. They didn't have a nation until
0: 1948. There's so much more to learn from today's edition of Building on the Solid Rock, so be sure to stay tuned for the next part of Pastor Troy's message. Building on the Solid Rock is the radio teaching ministry of Pastor Troy Neely of Calvary Chapel Solid Rock in San Antonio, Texas. If you're in the San Antonio area, we'd love to have you join us in person for our weekly services on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. for a time of worship and learning from the Word of God. You can also come by on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. for our in-depth Bible study. Learn more about the church and find directions at our website, buildingonthesolidrock.com. That website again is buildingonthesolidrock.com. We hope to see you there. Now, here's Pastor Troy with more of today's message.
1: This gospel that we're reading, John, this is what's interesting. It was written around 90 A.D. The destruction of Israel and the temple in Jerusalem what happened in 70 A.D. So this was written 20 years after the destruction. So it's as if John is saying, look, they wanted to prevent what happened. And they made the wrong choice. So the nation ceased to exist, but Christianity, you know what happened to it? It spread everywhere. History is filled with decisions of those who saw these Christians and decided, we need to snuff this out, we need to stop this. And so Christians were burned at the stake, they were fed to the lions, they were thrown into the fields for sport only to be killed. They were covered in tar and used alive in in yards of kings as human torches. This is this is faith. This is saying, I believe. But others made bad choices. Bad choices that only hardened their hearts and um, drew them to these low places that they would do such things. And these choices will make them, will harden them. Great influencers have risen up and tried to use their influence and their position to put down Christ and to put down um, Jesus in his work in the 18th century outspoken atheist Voltaire said this Christianity is the most ridiculous absurd bloody religion that has ever infected the world he had great influence and he went on to predict that his own writings would so change Europe that Christianity would be eliminated from the entire European continent now let me tell you what actually happened Voltaire died. Voltaire had made a bad decision. And what ended up happening is within the next 20 years, a Bible ministry began to develop, the Geneva Bible Society. And they purchased a house and used that house as a center to distribute Bibles throughout Europe. That house was Voltaire's at one time. It's like God can smile and say, shake your fist, but I'm God. Books by Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens have all come out to violently oppose Christ or God altogether. Taking him on head on, taking you on really, head on, trying to convince you it's dumb. In fact, Richard Dawkins wrote a book called The God Delusion. Nothing puts you down like you're under delusion, right? You're deluded. Someone responded to these books saying, you know, the fact that they write these books with such anger proves all the more that there is a God who convicts and that that conviction hardens the hearts of men. You see, you don't see people writing books about the unicorn delusion, which means that God must really be piercing their consciences and getting them mad. We might say these guys are making bad decisions, and they're being hardened as a result. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, where he referred to us, you and I, the Christian, as both salt and light in this world. Now salt, salt has properties that add flavor. You add flavor, you add season. Salt has properties that stops corruption. It stops the decaying process, which is definitely what God has given us to do here as we're sharing the gospel. And we're telling everyone, hey, there's an antichrist that's coming. We're sharing that. The Holy Spirit is here today kind of stopping the decay. But the scripture says one day that which is preventing the decay will be removed. And then that last seven years. The tribulation can unfold. But until then, there's a prevention of that time happening. One day we'll be gone. The more and more I see what's going on around us, the sooner I'd like to happen. But we're here, and so we're salt in this world. But you know what else salt does? It creates a thirst. Salt creates a thirst. Movie companies know this. That's why they've got not only salt, I think they're pumping it through their air conditioning ducts to get everybody to smell it. Well, I could use some popcorn because they know once you buy the $10 box of popcorn that's this big, that you're going to need the $15 soda because you got to have something to chase it with. So they know the deal. Salt (laughs) creates a thirst. And guys, our lives should create a thirst. Our lives are intended to create a thirst. So the people look at your marriage, they look at your home, they look at your kids, they look at your choices, they look what's going on, and they go, man, I want what you guys have, and I'm not talking money. Yeah, I could look on a bad day, look at somebody who has lots of money, and go, man, I'd like to have what they have. It it makes life easier. But that wouldn't be true. I wouldn't trade what I have for all the problems money can bring. All the choices that money brings. A lot of choices that you're held accountable for. That nice thing about not having much of it. I don't have to decide much. Pay my bills and then, you know, give to the Lord. Pay my bill. That's all I got. Makes it pretty easy. But when people look at our lives, there should be a thirst created in them. That we're doing the right things that we're honoring the Lord. So when we go through trials and they go, how did you guys do this? How did you come through this? And you still have your faith. Then you can tell them and it opens up that door that quenches that thirst. Then we're also light and light dispels darkness. Kids know about dispelling the darkness. You know, a couple of kids go in together and try to sneak some cookies and that third kid comes in or he's the noisy one. Hey, oh, cookies! (laughs) What are you guys doing? We're sneaking cookies. And they're all outspoken. Well, that's the light being turned on. That's the light. It's the truth. There's nothing wrong with saying, where's the cookies? Right? No problem. If I want cookies, nothing wrong with saying, where's the cookies? But there is something wrong with it if everyone's trying to hide them or hide the fact that they're trying to get them. You see, that's what the light does. It's sincere. It's honest. It's genuine. It's able to say things publicly. It doesn't have to hide anything. That's the light. You can breathe easy in the light. The darkness hates the light. The darkness hates when people expose things. I don't like that person because they're that way and that convicts me. I don't like that feeling. So, we are called to be salt and light. Would you say that describes your life? God wants you to be saltier salt than, or more light. You know how to make it happen? You can't do anything. Here's what you do. Your choice is this. I want to get closer to Jesus. How do I get closer to Jesus? Because the closer we get to the Lord, the more he comes from our lips, the more he comes through in our decisions, we see them clearly. Next week, we'll talk a little bit about the fact that studying the Bible doesn't make you more godly. Knowing Jesus, knowing what he's saying through his word, not just the facts or the details, that makes you more godly. The goal isn't to know the Bible more. The goal is to know the Lord more through the Bible. So, uh, we might say that there are many out there making bad decisions. We can pray that we're not among them. Jesus causes division, which isn't a bad thing when it's actually considered necessary for that separation process anyway, right? He's dividing. He's separating even now. But Jesus also dis- stirs discussion. So, are you seeking those opportunities when he comes up? to discuss, to engage in those discussions? How about when the family and friends are around? You're in the backyard, the backyard barbecue. Are you ashamed? Are you embarrassed? Are you concerned you might lose some friends, family members? Remember, he's causing the division. But those who are seeking, they will thank you for it later. You'll be one of the most important people in their life. But Jesus forces decisions. Every day, we all make decisions, many decisions, that bring us closer to or lead us further from the Lord. So what are we doing with them? Are we understanding these decisions that are in front of us? And don't think that you have to save someone every time you converse or get around them. Just be salt and light. Just point them to the right way, the right decision. They don't necessarily always have to know, well, Corinthians says, well, Revelation says. Just give them the right decisions, the biblical, the godly decisions. And then when they start asking and you start revealing all this is the Bible, then you'll be amazed at how open they've already become to the scriptures. In the end, though, the dividing
0: line is Christ, a hardened heart in Christ. That's all we have time for today on Building on the Solid Rock. Next time, Pastor Troy Neely will teach again in the book of John as he goes verse by verse and chapter by chapter through this gospel book. If this series has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send us an email at info at building on the That's info@buildingonthesolidrock.com. We love to hear from our listeners about their experience with this ministry. Let us know if you have any questions about our radio program. In addition to hearing encouraging messages on the radio, it's important to be involved in a local church. If you live in or are visiting the San Antonio area, come visit Calvary Chapel Solid Rock. You'll find service times on our church website. Just follow the link from buildingonthesolidrock.com. If you're unable to be there in person, join us online. That's all for today. Be sure to tune in again for more from the Book of John on Building on the Solid Rock.
1: Let the light of Christ shine as we grow in Him. Come have your way in us.